let me finish with, or excuse me, begin with some comments to finish off the last time we were together. <coughs> Revelation 12, and then we'll move quickly into 13. Um, the chapter talks about a sign in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains, and the agony of giving birth. Another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God, to his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness, for she has a place prepared by God in which she is nourished for 1,260 days. Um, I had made a comment last time. All of the imagery in Revelation is not new to the Hebrew mind. It was written for the early church, was predominantly Jewish, converted Jews, Christianized Jews. So they were very familiar with the pictures, the word images, the descriptions. Um, and I had mentioned this part about and the woman fled into the wilderness. If you remember, we were talking about the woman not representing Mother Mary specifically, but the nation or the people of God or the Old Testament church produced the Christ child. It was his lineage, the people of Israel. And these descriptions, it kind of confuses us because we want to go back all the way to the Old Testament. That's where it's coming from. But we have a habit of thinking things in timelines moving at least from the time of the prophecy forward. But he's blending a lot of things in here that we need to see. Um... Yes, Old Testament Israel did wander in the wilderness. But if you stop and think in the broad picture of things, Old Testament Israel and New Testament church have a lot in common. When Joshua led Israel over the Jordan River and conquered Jericho, that was wonderful. Brought them into the Promised Land with great victory. Split the country in half militarily, divided the kingdoms in the south, turned to the north, conquered those kingdoms. A lot of victory to begin with. When the Lord Jesus rose out of the grave, In 
left them on that hilltop, first thing he told them, go in and take the land. Not in those words, but he meant the same thing. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I was just so thrilled when I got it from my seminary professor, Richard Pratt. The nation of Israel was not the beginning and the end of Bible prophecy or the gospel message. It was Omaha Beach. We are, as the people of God, supposed to take the whole world. The meek shall inherit the earth. That's what the gospel is supposed to do for us. And the church had a great beginning. From Pentecost onward, there were wonderful things going on. Churches were being founded. People were being saved for years. For that first generation after the Lord Jesus ascended into heaven, things, we look back on them and they're wonderful. They were blessed. But just like Old Testament Israel, New Testament church began to grow weak. So we see a fulfillment of the prophecy. Christ's child is born. The mother flees, the mother church flees into the wilderness. In, in the New Testament, in the Gospels, Matthew and Luke, I think it is Luke that says they flee to Egypt. But John is also drawing on the picture of the whole nation in the wilderness. And then again, for the New Testament church, the implication for us, and then the application as we understand, as we glean some understanding and wisdom out of this, is that Since we are so much like Old Testament Israel and we have wandered away from the Lord instead of going out and conquering the land as the Lord said, see, I have given it to you. Go in and spread the gospel. We have just, in a way, been wandering in the wilderness. There's been a lot of idolatry in the church. There's been a lot of division in the church. There's been a lot of violence in the church. You look back at church history, and it is embarrassing. But in God's providence, He is doing that. The words that I wanted to use last time, but it wasn't Deuteronomy 28, it was Deuteronomy 8, 2. These words for Old Testament Israel, but they can also make an application for us today. You shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that you might that he might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, 
but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, or, or, and your foot did not swell these forty years. Know then in your heart that, as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. For you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs, of flowing out in the valleys and the hills, and a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and whose hills you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good of the land he has given you. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and you heard and your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through a great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rocks, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. The trials and the tribulations that the church has experienced over the years, over the last 2,000 years, have been kind of a wandering in the wilderness because the church hasn't always been faithful. And God is using this time to test our faith, your faith, my faith, Because we have been attacked and are being attacked by the dragon. Does this make sense? Lessons to the Old Testament of Israel have application for the New Testament church. And we can see the connections right here in the middle of Revelation, Revelation 12. The mother church is wandering in the wilderness because Satan has tried to attack and stop the gospel. He continues. Okay, any questions with that so far? Revelation 13. <clears throat> and I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads and ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, its feet like, li like a bear's, and its mouth 
like a lion's mouth, and to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. Um, just for clarification, let's pause. I'm sure you've, many of you have seen someone who has been preaching on Bible prophecy, right? Well, I don't know if it's John Hagee or some of the others, and they, they always have these big illustrated canvas, yeah, up there, and, and they draw out, they paint out these dramatic-looking creatures, like this great big dragon with seven heads and ten horns. And I grew up in that camp. And they almost made you believe that, oh, we're not, we're okay, we don't see the dragon yet. Oh, we're okay, they're not making us get our hands stamped or our forehead stamped yet. We're okay. But we're not. Because he's here. He's been here. And we need to be very wise and we need to be very careful. Working through Acts, we've just seen an episode where Paul is rescued by Roman soldiers. And they have protected him. And they are escorting him to a safe place for a proper trial, a proper hearing. And we will see in the next few weeks how they also finance, indeed transport him all the way to Rome. He wanted to go there. And he's going, and Rome's paying for it. So when we get to Romans 13, and he talks about how we are to honor the governments, because the Lord has given them as a sword to protect us, we can understand where he's coming from. I know, I know it's divine scripture. Paul wrote it, but I can't help but think that this episode in his life just kind of helped him. Yeah, I know Rome's, Rome's lost things, but boy, they were there for me when I needed them. And there are a lot of people today who take what Paul teaches in Romans 13 and say, oh no, we should not say anything against the government. Because that's unchristian. But when the government comes in and tells us to stop preaching the gospel or to close our doors, they've crossed the line. They have jailed ministers of the gospel for preaching truth. They have harassed ministers of the gospel. I have a friend in Canada, they have literally worn him, he is burnt out. Wore him out with stress and worry.
I saw a beast rising out of the sea. Well, what is the sea? There's some big, there's several different interpretations about what does it mean, the sea? You look at Revelation 21. <coughs> excuse me. Let's look at Revelation 21. <coughs> Right at the beginning, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and, there and the sea was no more. New heaven and new earth, but no sea. Some of you are going to think, oh man, I don't get to live by the beach. Is that what it means? The new heaven and the new earth won't have water? There are several different interpretations about what sea means, and we've got to understand that a lot of, most, the majority of Revelation, the language is figurative. It is symbolic. When the Bible says there is no longer any sea, is, is, is a, some say it's a figurative reference to there being no more divisions among humanity. And it, you know, it's painting humanity itself, all the population of the world, as the sea. Anybody ever been to a ball game where the whole stadium just goes around a great big wave? That's a small microcosm of what they're describing here, that the whole world represents divided peoples. Some think that in the new heaven and the earth, people will no longer be divided under Jesus. There's another interpretation, another take on that, and no longer that the sea means that refers to the absence of anything that is perilous, unpredictable, or tumultuous. There will be nothing but peace. Everything will be safe. Because there is this picture of the sea being dangerous in real life. They thought so back then. I'm taking it to mean, and this is what, closest to what I would interpret it as, the sea, no longer any sea in Revelation 21.1 means that the source of evil in the world is gone. No longer will there be any opportunity for rebellion in God's creation. Now, let's stop and think. The sea in a day's world we can say as political. When we say, say political, we usually think of the politicians and the organization, the official roles of presidents and congressmen and statesmen and governors and magistrates. Those are all politicians. But the word in its purest form means people. The beast rising out of the sea. What do we see as Christians, you and I, what do we see today that we are very much alarmed at? We see the leaders of governments doing it, but it's 
I'm kind of stunned and slack-jawed to see how much. And of course, they got the press behind them to show it to us. It seems like they want us to think that everybody wants it this way. Follow the president. Follow your politician. Follow your leader. But they are antichrist. Yes, we should be law-abiding citizens. But when you read this in Revelation, you cannot help but think that the danger that comes to the church and the danger that comes upon the people of God comes through the politics. Not just through the government, but through the social influence as well. I saw a beast rising out of the sea. Influence of the people. Ten horns and seven heads. Government authority as well. With ten diadems on its horns and a blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, its feet like a bear's and its mouth like a lion's mouth. If you remember the book of Daniel describing progressive nations after the fall of Babylon, the vision that Daniel was given, there was a bear, there was a leopard, there was a lion. John is borrowing on those pictures. So he's talking about government influence government persecution, government oppression upon the church, upon the bride. And to it, the dragon gave his power and his throne and his great authority. Now we still don't see the dragon behind it. We still don't see Satan. We just see this beast. It just seems to be overwhelming, but Satan is behind it. He's underneath it. He's pulling the strings. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound. This beast and Satan, so closely related, what we're going to see in Revelation is an unholy trinity. We have the Antichrist, we have the beast, and we have the false prophet. We'll see them all very soon. So we know that the dragon, Satan himself, is in control of this beast, but John is also describing this beast, one of its heads having a mortal wound, but it was healed. Who do we know? Who do we know that Scripture gives us to have a mortal wound in the head? Think of Genesis 3.15. The serpent, Satan.
Well, yeah, but he doesn't enter into this. It's talking about Satan, who's bruised Christ healed, but his head was crushed on the cross. He was defeated, finally. But he still has influence. He's still at work. That's what John is describing here. The whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon. For he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth utterly haughty and blasphemous words. And it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. I mean, its time is limited. And it opens it, <clears throat> it opens its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on earth will worship it everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb that was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. Are you listening? John is giving it to us. The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians, that Satan is the prince of the power of the air. He is still at work. We see his influence daily. We see the blasphemies. Most of us, I don't want you to feel guilty. Most of us like watching videos, movies on Netflix or Amazon or wherever you get them. And some of them are action movies and some of them are murder mysteries. I want you to stop and think. How many of them? And I, I watch them too. They're, they're kind of fun. They're inter entertaining. They kind of keep you thinking and wondering. And they're usually well written. But I want you to think. How much the social structure behind those lessons, behind those movies, they are lessons, are eroding this world's sense of what is right and what is wrong. How many of those movies do you watch? I don't want you to feel guilty. I just want, when you watch them, I want you to think and realize what's happening. How many of those movies that you watch when you see where one thief is trying to outdo another thief. Well, he stole from me, so I'm going to steal back from him and get him even better. That kind of thing. Or a good wizard and an evil wizard. 
they're both thieves, they're both lawbreakers, but then you find yourself rooting for one or the other. Boy, I hope that, oh yeah, I'm glad he got it. Do you see what's happening? That, that's just one of the subtle things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Exactly. They, 1980s, 1990s, they were desensitizing us. Oh, they're funny people. I'm, they're nice people. And now they're slamming us. You remember when they dropped the decision for to permit gay marriages? That was like the gate, the whole fence was just knocked down. Very soon after that, there was YouTube videos about a gay choir singing, we're coming for your children. Can you see what's happening? Drag queen book readings. Drag queens dancing in churches. I can't describe what they just recently had a gay pride weekend in Charlotte, North Carolina. I can't describe what was going on there with children in public, on the street, in broad daylight. Yeah. Pride is what caused Satan's fall, exactly. They worshipped the dragon. He had given his authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? Are we near to the Lord's coming? Or do we have to wait for the Antichrist to show up with a tattoo gun? Verse 6, it opened its mouth. Let me just get back into the rhythm here. It opens its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. They are increasing the pressure against churches in America today. They have already increased the pressure against churches in Canada and in the Middle East and over other, other nations. They want Christians to shut up, especially the faithful Christians. If you want to go along with the woke social gospel, they'll let you stay open. They'll let you continue. But if you're preaching the truth, they're going to shut you up. Authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation, and all who dwell on the earth will worship it. 
everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb that was slain. If anyone has a hear, has an ear, let him hear. So we're seeing increased pressure upon the church, upon the people of God around the world. I don't remember who wrote it. I saw something posted online not too long ago. I think it was someone in Australia who said, America, people are praying for you. People are watching you. You are our heroes. Stand fast. If things don't go well in November, I don't know that we can recover as a nation. But we must be faithful as a church no matter what. Yes, yes. It's been suggested here. And it will continue to be pressed until it's made law. I've noticed, I've already noticed that, you know, I go home and I'll type up my sermon notes and I have a private email account with Charter. I will send it from there to my Gmail account, Google. But if I have a scripture text in the tagline, subject line, it never gets to my Google account. It's blocked. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Verse 10, John is very honest. If anyone is taken to, is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with a sword, with a sword he must be slain. Here's a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Brothers and sisters, no matter what happens, we have to stand faithful. Now you can say, oh, it's going to get scary. Or you can say, it's going to get exciting. If they try and take us out, we have a better home to go to. We're done here. But we're immortal until it happens. On this earth. We need to keep being faithful. Verse 11, then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon. If it exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants, wor inhabitants to worship the beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs even making fire come down from heaven and to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. Now, 
This is, I believe, the false prophet. This is the religious part. The compromised church supporting the works and lies of Satan in this world. And we can see that in a lot of churches. I've seen videos of men, ministers of the gospel, with PhDs in theology, whom I respected, whom pastor large, wealthy churches. Standing in the pulpit with a tear running down their cheek, apologizing, literally apologizing for being white. I've really been thinking, I usually don't like to name names, but I'm thinking I might repent of that very soon and start naming names. I know pastors who have compromised where they are hiring homosexuals and putting them on their staff, deliberately on their church's staff. And you know what's going on in the old PCA now with Revoice and Greg Johnson, that he is not repenting. He is proud of who he is. He identifies as homosexual and doesn't think he needs to repent as long as he's celibate. Well, let me just, for example... Well, no, that's not a good example. Well, if I were to say I lusted after every woman I ever saw, even though I was married, as long as I don't touch them, that's okay. How would you think of me, my qualifications as a pastor? I can't stop. I mean, this is, he's doing the same thing. I can't change. As long as I don't act on it, I'm okay. But he's still in the pulpit, pastoring a church. Less than five miles from the denominational seminary. Churches have compromised this description that John gives us of another beast, another animal that causes everyone to give praise and make idols to the first beast, it's the false church. We'll see this also pictured as a harlot on the back of the beast pretty soon. It performs great signs even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of the people. I don't know that this will ever literally happen, but he's drawing upon pictures about a great prophet in the Old Testament, Elijah, who brought fire down from heaven, and the church, the apostles, performing miracles. I mean, he is identifying a religious false pastor or preacher or false body. 
and by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of these be of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand of the forehead, right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark that is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom that the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. Again, there's a lot going on here. I would like to offer some clarity about this uh, mark of the beast. What is it? We saw back a few chapters ago in Revelation that the 144,000, the ones who are chosen by God, a people who cannot be numbered from every tribe and every nation. God said, let them be sealed, let them be marked. So everybody's going to get a mark, one way or the other. Is it going to be literal, or is it going to be spiritual? We're talking about a spiritual mark for the believers, because God knows who you are. You are His. He will not let you go. But this idea of a mark on the forehead or on the hand... I think is going back to imagery, imagery from the Old Testament again. If you've ever read about the Old Testament tribes or have ever studied about how they... You, you all know what a phylactery is? It's, it's a little leather pouch that the Jews used to make and some of the traditional ones still do. And it had long leather straps. They would put scripture verses in those things. And then they would put the pouch on the back of their hand and use those straps to tie it to the, up their arms so that scripture would always be on their right hand. And they'd always, and they'd also put, some would put the box on their forehead and tie it. They are identifying as faithful Jews, faithful to the law of Moses. And they are loving God with all of their mind, with all of their heart, with all of their strength. So here John, I believe, is drawing upon that picture. Serving Satan with their strength and with their mind. Uh, 
Well, I know you don't serve Satan with your strength or your mind. But you go to work, and you work hard to earn some money. Some of you have retired, you've saved money, but the same thing applies. You know what I'm talking about. Are you careful where you spend your money? I'm not telling you what to do. I just want you to think about this. All right? Just as an example. A few years ago when they were, politicians were starting to debate about this issue about gay marriage, the CEO of Starbucks came out and made a public statement. Said that if Christians don't want this gay marriage law passed, then we don't want them buying our coffee. So I said, okay, I'll never buy another cup of Starbucks. If you enjoy Starbucks, that's your business. I will not judge you. I will not condemn you. That's up to you. But I'm boycotting Starbucks. And it's gotten so bad that you, you cannot escape supporting some political agenda. You can't even go to Walmart because now they've come out with a statement that if an employee of ours wants an abortion, we will pay for them to go to a state that will allow them to do it. So you, you're caught no matter where you go. marked on the hand and head they're not going to be able to buy or sell unless they're serving the dragon that's what's going on and we've got to see it we've got to see it mm -hmm. yeah And that's the way our hearts should be. We should be grieving for the way this world is today and praying for the Lord. Even now come Lord Jesus. I remember Cub Scouts used to have den mothers. I don't know. Mm hmm Yeah. That's, I, I try and be as gracious as I can. I remember one year, Girl Scouts came to our doors. I'm, I'm sorry, dear, we can't eat gluten. Next year they came back and I said, I'm sorry, dear, we can't eat gluten. We have some gluten-free cookies. And I know these mothers of little girls don't have any idea about what's going on. But Girl Scouts are part of the problem, too, as an organization.
right. Any other questions or comments? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together and help us as we consider these things to digest them mentally and emotionally and spiritually. Guide us by your light and by your wisdom. If these things don't make sense, then we should not even be pursuing this course of understanding. But Lord, as things happen around us, it brings clarity to what we read in Scripture, and we are blessed to know that your word is true, your word is reliable, and that we can rest in a hope that has been given to us in Jesus. Help us all to rest well this evening, and use us this week for your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen.